Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA businesses and allies offer. If we can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. And welcome back to another episode of Queer Business Success. I am so excited to welcome to the show today, Mariah Williams. Their pronouns are cues, surprise me. Mariah is a holistic practitioner, writer, and portal witch who works with folks who are interested in exploring body-based, socio-political, and or spiritual and nature-based aspects of healing, and who are interested that personal and collective healings are intertwined. Q's clients base are folks who don't fit into single, simple boxes, but some common threads are people who are autistic, neurodivergent, or navigating other structural trauma and oppression, as well as activists, organizers, helping professionals, and witchy folks who want to explore what it means for them to have more joyful, creative, equitable, and embodied experience as as part of the cosmic web. Mariah practices orthobionomy, cranial sacral therapy, emotional freedom technique, animal communication, and Q is a neuroaffective relationship model informed professional with an embodied social justice certificate. Mariah is a white, autistic, genderqueer person, has healed from chronic illness. Mariah, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. And I am so excited to be here. Um, Mariah and I actually... Um, taped something a couple of months ago and the Zoom gods lost the tape. And so now we're taping together again, but I also know Mariah much better since the first time. So I'm really excited about the possible conversation today. So Mariah, can you tell us a little bit about your queer story? Yeah, so I think, you know, I think a lot of, like a lot of folks who sort of fall through the cracks of like sort of really clear-cut identifiers it took me a long time to get language you know i think i was listening to to one of your other guests leela talking about sort of like the story in retrospect and i could relate to that quite a lot of you know sort of like i think being autistic like categories are sort of hit or miss in terms of like whether they make sense to me you know Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of sort of like socially structured categories that I'm like, yeah, but what's that for, you know? (laughs) And a lot of times it's for compartmentalization or hierarchy or, you know, just knowing how to follow the rules and stuff. And I think, you know, whereas there's other categories like, is this hurtful or not that like tend to be extremely important to autistic folks. But Mm -hmm. so like categories around like gender and sexuality, sort of all my life were just very sort of not something that like I had like a big draw to um first of all I didn't really know how to participate in them correctly (laughs) but also like it just it wasn't like compelling enough for me to to sort of really cleave to them that much but then I think 
so I spent a lot of my like high school being very confused about my sexuality and it wasn't until my late teens I found the word bisexual and I was like oh but like and, and even so like I think like a lot of bi slash queer folks I was I looked at that and I was like yeah but there's more than two genders you know mm-hmm. like <laughs> there's at least 87,000 that I've come across <laughs> like, you know, and so, but then it was like it was much later that I remember actually that I came across uh Kate Bornstein's use of the word gender anarchist and I was like oh yeah like that I that works for me you know <laughs> and then sort of later finding terms like genderqueer and stuff and um well, yeah. I can understand why I like nodding in agreement with you that that makes a lot of sense, the gender queer for you. And I've actually, since we've talked last, I have also interviewed a bunch of other neurodivergent queer folks since then. Uh-huh. And they talk a lot about how that, and I, and I was saying to somebody that I find that there's a lot of neuro, neurodivergent people in the queer community. And they said, I said, why do you think that is? And she said, because, and she said, she identifies as a she, that uh, she believes it's because, because people who are neurodivergent are used to looking at things in different ways than people who are not more are more typical and that they're much more open to different ways of being than people that are not less or people who are less neurodivergent in other words would you agree with that or do you find it something yeah yeah and it's it's interesting i always go back to this thing that bill mcdonough said that like the the easiest way to heal an ecosystem is to connect it to more of itself and i think you know from a lens of healing i think that there's like a lot of natural layers to things that we try to like sort of scour out or reduce or you know make commodifiable or quantifiable in some way and like i think that actually there are a bunch of layers to so many things and i think with neurodivergence and um, queerness like there's very likely a neurotypal component there's very likely like a perceptual component i think there's i think that there's also probably a layer where like being different sort of radicalizes you to other kinds of difference that's that's not an automatic thing and and that's actually like a space i'm very interested in of like what are we doing with our power like do we end up like lean do we end up like leveraging the kinds of privilege we have or do we end up sort of like experiencing our marginalizations and kind of like letting that open us to a lot of other kinds of layers of things and sort of well it so let me just give you my example of that is that when i was coming out later in life i had always lived a straight life and I remember my my second child was talking to a friend about about how comfortable she she has they have since come out as non-binary but they were talking about how comfortable they were with the queer community but this is before they came out the person said to them um the girl said to her she identifies as a lesbian she goes but Jamie you were raised by a lesbian and that sort of hit me because I was like, well, even though I wasn't an out lesbian, was I like, like I had to like think through that. Was I still a lesbian? And what I remembered is that 
um, when I first came out, I started to become friends with a bunch of other people who came out later in life. And their walls on Facebook matched my own. And that really, really intrigued me. There was, you know, it was the year that Donald Trump was running. So they were all like Pantsuit Nation and Hillary supporters. And they were all, they were all also uh, very concerned about marginalized communities. And, and so I all of a sudden, like, sort of like reframed what I was thinking. And I was just like, well, I guess, even though I didn't, I lived into the privilege that I had been given, that I always had a heart for marginalized communities, because there was a piece of myself that knew deep inside that I was marginalized, that I was, you know, I wasn't like the rest of the straight mommies that I used to hang out with. I was definitely always felt, you know, like an outsider. Like I just didn't feel like I quite fit in. And so when, you know, it made me really, really think about like how it doesn't happen all the time. But people who have experienced marginalization often have a heart for other marginalized communities, you know? Yeah, and I think it's something, to me, it's some of the hope for solidarity that I think that I think there's very different degrees of like those pressures that people experience depending on like, you know, how divergent we are. Mm -hmm. But I think like, I think there's. I'm very much interested in like the capillary portals and like I think there's like I think there's portals everywhere in terms of like I think most people in the world you know some people benefit materially from dominant culture but like nobody thrives under it and like you know nobody I think conforms perfectly to whatever the abstract model is and mm -hmm. so like when we allow ourselves to be in touch with those places like that creates the doorways of like oh okay like what kind of world do we actually want to have and like you know what would actually be more loving and well yeah and, and and i agree with you you know even the people that benefit most from the societies that we live in are often the most unhappiest people of all it, yeah, yeah. And, and that's really, really interesting because they have benefited, and I'm just going to call it patriarchy for now, but, you know, they have really, really benefited from the patriarchy, some people, yet there's still restlessness and a still of like uh, this, uh, like, because a lot of times they conform to the standards of the patriarchy and they may not always be really happy with that. that yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, it's patriarchy, it's white supremacy, it's capitalism, yeah. ableism, it's all the things, you know. And, and I think, you know, for some people, they may sort of do a risk assessment and say, like, it's easier for me to conform, you know. And then there's others of us who have, you know, more of a mix of that option. I read this, oh, there was this great post by Imani Barbaran. You can follow, you can follow Imani at Crutches and Spice. But she was saying that, uh, I think she's a she. She was saying that, um, you know, a lot of times disabled people discard functioning labels because functioning labels are really like a measure of how well you can uphold white supremacy culture. Like that's, that's all that descriptor is mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. You know, and what's your capacity to do that? And I think that, sorry, we've gone off in a couple directions here. Yes, we are. <laughs> I'm going to get you, as soon as you finish this thought, I'm going to get us back on track. 
anyway, it's a good direction. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and I think that, oh, okay. Yeah, I remember the thought that I was going to say. That I think that, like, one of the things that, like, I think the more we can sort of discuss, invite people to explore is, like, how do we politicize our pain? You know, I think a lot of times we're suffering alone when we're depoliticizing it. We're you know, we're, we're doing the work of oppression to read that there's something wrong with us and we should just comply better, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of cost to politicizing our pain, right? There's a lot of risk and there's a lot of things you do lose, but, like, I think it is, like, a pretty reliable portal to healing, you know, and, and to collective healing. So, okay, reroute us. <laughs> I am rerouting us right now. So tell me, what do you do in your business and who do you help? And talk about a little bit about all these certifications and everything that Q has done here. And how do you synthesize all of those to help the people that come to see you? Yeah, so I think one of my biggest challenges with my business is describing it. Um, and, and mostly because I am working with the layers in the liminal spaces. And as a, as a client all my life, like I've been somebody who has been outside of most people's scope of practice. That's still with like considerable privilege. You know, I'm white, I'm pretty verbally adroit, like I'm able to like, you know, use words to advocate for myself in different ways, you know, that are considered respectable, blah, blah, blah. And I think that, you know, a lot of the folks who come to me have just not had a lot of space held for them in their complexity and their layers and their divergence and you know so it, it can really like concretely that can look like, like so basically like I think of myself as like a sand tray therapist you know who has like you know it's like I feel like my sort of role as a practitioner is to sort of can I have as many like little figurines on the shelves as possible that they can choose from and can there be like a bunch of big blocks of clay mm -hmm. you know so it's like people can come in and be like oh, oh, I can, they're like, well, can I have a dog? Oh, can I have a dragon? I didn't know I could have a dragon. Well, then can I also have a Valkyrie? Well, no, I don't have mm -hmm. a Valkyrie, but, you know, here's some clay. You can make one, you know, mm -hmm. so it's like that sort of space. And so, you know, and going through the different layers, depending on the ways that we're traumatized, like certain aspects of experience are more accessible than others. So like maybe somebody's really, really comfortable with their body, but like they're not comfortable with words, or maybe somebody is likes to sort of cogitate and like talk about sort of structural frameworks and that helps them kind of reorganize or you know maybe somebody has like a natural relationship with spirit but like they've never been supported in that or you know so it's sort of like working with all these different pieces and we can kind of jump from one to the other and in orthobionomy like one of the ways healing is framed is that you get reconnected with choice. Trauma and oppression by nature take away your choices. Like things happen that are against your consent. And so like the healing process is about that, like re-ecologizing of self. And it's really hard to put that in like a <laughs> elevator speech sound bite. But so it, it could be, yeah, it could look, it could be any of those layers. It could be like talking to somebody's knee and sort of seeing like, let's find out about the life of the knee or it could be like, okay, what's the thing you're most afraid of inside yourself? Or like, what are some nuts and bolts skills for like spirit communication? Or like, let's just talk about like all these patterns in autism or racism or whatever the things are that are like, that have been on your shoulders that maybe you feel like you're the only person who's noticing. 
mm-hmm. you know, maybe they don't have words for it. So it's, it's sort of a synthesis of all of those. And it's, it's a lot of questions. Like, I feel like I, I don't, I don't give people advice or answers of any kind. It's like, well, let me just, like let's okay. practice asking questions together. And then I'm going to trust your innate healing and your innate knowing. And like the more the stuff is cleared out of the way, like all of your health that's already there can flow through you in the way that it wants well, to. Well, yeah, it's like a, what is it? Is it the Socratic method where you ask a lot of questions? Is that the right one? I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. you know, and so using questions to let people to dig deeper in a safe, it sounds like what you do is that you give people who typically come from communities that have been marginalized in intersecting way intersecting ways you give them a place of safety to be themselves and to work on the things that they want to work on yeah. not that you want to work on <laughs> that they, yeah you know and, yeah, and but- you give them space to do it in a variety of different ways in that your tool bag is full is filled with a lot of different tools yeah. And like people, you know, and, and sometimes like, sometimes there's some collapse in that, like the first couple of sessions, I'm asking people what they want and they're like, I have no idea. But then like by session two or three, they're like, yeah, this and this and this and do that. You know, it's yeah. like, it gets very specific as soon as people have room. And, and I think like one of the big things that like is sort of, there's been so much coercion in terms of like, healing and helping professions that like that's sort of almost always in the room of sort of like what can we actively do to like make room for consent and what can we actively unpack about the power dynamics of like I'm not the expert like I'm here to like help you discern what's right for you because I don't know what's right for anybody you know no no and also we have, I mean, we have wisdom and experience and stuff like that, but really the choices are made by the person themselves, you know, right. and we can provide insight. We can provide what, what's happened before or worked for other people, but really ultimately it's the person that we're caring for. It's their choices. They have the autonomy and, and you said something about choices in this and what a freedom to give people who have not had choice in the past to give them to make their own choices. Right. And, you know, I realized at one point that, like, it really helped me to articulate for myself, like, the dilemma that's at the core of my practice, which is, like, between oppression and empowerment, you know, like, it's a gray area. There are these, you know, it's not like if you come in for, like, a session or 12 sessions that like, oh, like I'm healed from capitalism now. Like that, <laughs> it's like, that is a thing that we're in ongoing relationship with. And also like, I think it's cutting ourselves short if we feel like we don't have, there's a lot of ways that like we sort of like cut off our relationship to our own power in our body and in the collective that it's like, okay, the more we sort of like reopen those portals the much better chance we have to like restructure society in ways that we want to but it's not like any kind of bow tie like oh yeah do six sessions and like (laughs) and you'll be healed (laughs) but but, you know my my hope is it's like you go through this stuff and like you you live in a way that feels really rich and meaningful to you that you know you're not afraid of yourself and you're invested and you know there's there's so much there's so much meaningful work to do in the world these days you know Mm -hmm. there is 
there's no limit to that joy I find. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's the hardest part about what's the most challenging part of your business? I think honestly, the most challenging part is like the short description, you know, because mm -hmm. it's, like, you know, it's like all I've been, I've been, it's interesting, all the, all of the classes on business and stuff, even the ones that like are sort of more alternative, it's challenging to sort of look at all that and say, I so appreciate this. And it still doesn't help me. Like mm -hmm. I still need to figure out what my own approach is to a lot of these things, you know, and I think there's like a lot of layers of organization that are challenging for me as part of that, like autistic difficulty with even sort of believing in reductionism, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, and it's interesting, like sort of in, like in sessions with people, like it's like presence, like sometimes presence is about being the rain barrel and just sort of like mm -hmm. holding everything like indiscriminately and sort of like knowing that like whatever are the important threads will come up and like sometimes presence is about what are you willing to push off the boat? You know, like, okay, this thread is here and it's so interesting and it's not like part of what, it's not one of the anchor lines of the web right now. And we're just going to mm -hmm. like set it there and appreciate it. But, you know, so that, I don't know, it's all very rich and stuff, but I feel like that whole kind of processing is something that like has been pretty, sh like people have like shut down, shut that down a lot in my life. You know, it's like, see, that's the pathology and like sort of rerouting that like, no, that is like the ecological strength of my being and like mm -hmm. the fact that it's not especially marketable <laughs> is very much tied in with like the strength of it. But I don't know. I What I'm hearing you say is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that really the challenging challenge, the most challenging part of your business is telling people what you do. And that I heard that. And then I also heard that sometimes your strengths don't get recognized because they're not something as viewed as strengths. Is that, is, is that what I'm Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like in, if in, in, ter in terms of the framework of business, for example, like there's a certain kind of like sort of cut and driedness that's considered good business. And like, you know, I, I feel like my business, it's operating within capitalism, but it's fundamentally anti-capitalist you know it's it's really about like how do we have good lives and I don't think that's fundamentally compatible with capitalism you know <laughs> but it's sort of like like sort of all of the but we uh, exist within a system that is really I mean like do I have the energy to overthrow capitalism I don't know if do I even you know can is that even possible I mean we live in such a capitalistic society even in societies that have charged tried other things more to like you know I, I'm thinking of like socialist more socialist nations and stuff like that it's not all I mean it's just sort of like almost like part of the ethos you know what I mean it's part of the air we breathe it's it's so I think what I hear you saying is like can we exist even if we are anti-capitalist how can we exist in a way where we can find happiness and joy within something that is just all around us? Yeah, I mean, well, and it's it's not that capitalism is fixed, you know, it's it's a social structure, right? And the collective imagination creates these structures and the collective imagination can change these structures. And like, to me, like the more of those sort of like capillary inroads we can create, you know, the more, the more we can sort of see, like, where else might this go? Like, what mm -hmm. might be a compassionate, 
equitable way of living in society without absolutely destroying the earth. And also, you know, the, the reality is that like, you know, I own a business because capitalism is the system that we're working under now. But like, I'm, I'm very conscious of like, never like normalizing that, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> but hold on, I'm just looping back to your, your overarching question about See, help me. When I have clients, I always take notes so I can just scroll up to like, okay, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I think what I was saying is that capitalism is just all around us. And I said something about how, so you're helping people to live. It sounds like what you do, Mariah, is help people live happy lives despite all the existing structures that are there to make it harder to be happy. And also like the more, the more we sort of nourish that collective imagination, like the more, you know, we can, you know, and the more that we befriend our power, like the more that we recognize like, oh, like I can be a channel for like other kinds of energy and I can be an, I can be a model and an agent as part of this like sort of collective it's not something that we can leverage from an individual standpoint but like if we're not working against ourselves with as much self-hatred and internalized stuff that we're not being paid rent to keep inside us you know it's like Mm -hmm. so much more of our energy is available for like what kind of world are we actually envisioning right Yes. uh, Yes. I I hear you because I do believe people that are healed and empowered there instead of spending their time in my time, your time, our time, perseverating and self-loathing and non-compassionate behavior towards ourselves where once we start the healing journey and it's a practice it's like it's never like nothing's ever fixed and goes away (laughs) it's it's just a practice the more people that can be healed of the self-loathing and all the things that come with patriarchal capitalistic mess you know um misogynistic systems the more the world will be healed so i'm going to stop pontificating and so tell me mariah what what are you most proud of? Whether it's in your business or in your, just your life, what are you really like proud of yourself? Well, it's interesting. It actually, it actually goes back to the thread we dropped about, you know, you were reflecting on like things that are my strengths that are not seen as such. And I think that like, if there's, I feel like I'm really proud of being able to mirror for people that like, a lot of the things that they beat themselves up for are actually really beautiful and life-giving and you know there's there's nothing to be afraid of inside of themselves and there's nothing wrong with them and you know and I think that's like such a big part of like queering a lot of kinds of divergence mm-hmm. you know to to just have an attitude of celebration of all of the parts of us that are actually our life force mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you a question, not really directly related to your business, but a couple questions. When should somebody seek support? Oh, that's so individual. I think that thinking about longing recently, mm-hmm. you know, and how many, how, how much we tend to extinguish our longing, you know, cause I think like it can be seen as like, there's so many things like, oh, like this is pointing to a deficiency and you have a deficiency or like if you want something you're greedy or if you're 
you're longing for something that because like something doesn't feel right then you're a rebel and you're gonna be you know like sort of all these different reasons why we estrange ourselves from that but i think it can be any kind of longing you know it can be a longing of like i don't want this to hurt so much i don't want to feel so lonely you know or it can be sort of a more a more resourced longing of like gosh i'd really love to like have a better relationship with my sense of power. I'd really love to like, you know, have more tools for this area of my life. So I don't know, it, it's not but a it, word answer. <laughs> well, but it's also not a one size fit all. You, I mean, you said that. We, one reason somebody would want to seek support may be very different than other people reasons. But I, what I hear you saying is that when you're feeling a longing that something may not be quite right, but you can't put your finger on it, then that yeah. may be a time to even support can just it doesn't have to always be professional support it can start with friends and stuff like that but then eventually you may want to work with somebody that can hold space for you so that you can figure these things out because family and friends bring their baggage into the conversations with you <laughs> while a professional right. typically doesn't have any baggage a good professional. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think one of the things that we can all do relative to public health is to like explore our own agenda, you know, yes. and like, the less we're bringing agenda into relationship, the more we can sort of be present to like, oh, okay, what's actually here. And like, you know, being in touch with that innate health is actually a state of doing less, you know, but I think, I think one, one common indicator is like, I think sort of like moving from one stage of our life to another, it takes a lot of energy to reach escape velocity. You know, so a lot of times there's going to be some kind of tension or it could be a kind of collapse where it's sort of like, you might know exactly what the problem is and it might be something, a lot of times people know what it is, but they're just like, this is how life is, you know, and it takes a certain level of pressure for people to feel like, yeah, no, it has to be better than this or like maybe it's not better, but I just can't take this anymore. And, well, you know, and also, comfort zones are comfort zones and it takes, you know, outside our comfort zone is fear. I mean, it, it, because we have to go into the unknown. And so even if our comfort zones are incredibly dysfunctional, it's like, it's, you know, that old saying it's dysfunctional, but it's my dysfunction and I'm comfortable with it. You know, so like our comfort zones are our places of safety. They may not be actual safe for us, but they can feel like our places of staying. But then when we first tip our toe out of the water of comfort and go into that fear zone, I'm, I'm thinking of a half circle where the comfort zone's in the middle and then that fear is, right. out, is that we end up having to like put our toe out there and, and see if, you know, and be brave. And then we might retract for a little bit and then we're a little bit more brave again. And so it takes a while to work through the fear of of the what if right and yeah exactly and there's a couple different layers like one one thing that i find is really helpful in terms of like how we navigate is like not checking like does this feel good or bad because like mm -hmm. something could feel really good and what it is is complicity you know mm -hmm. or complacence you know it could feel really bad and it's like a growth experience like i ask clients like you know do you feel more open or more closed like, mm -hmm. do you feel like you're connecting? Is it flowing? Is it moving? Is it making more sense? Is it feeling stronger? Like, and then if it's like comfortable or uncomfortable, it's like that's sort of like secondary, you know, or are you retracting? Are you numbing? Are you, 
is the tension increasing like that kind of thing it's like okay well then then maybe change your approach and also like really encouraging people to like sort of seek big and like find like what's the comfort what's the larger comfort that contains the discomfort because it's, it's like if we can be connected to this sort of larger sphere then like another way i think of it is like if you're like on the surface of the ocean and there's all these choppy waves it's like the, and you feel like the waves are all of existence then like that's pretty unbearable but it's like if you can be like down deep you know with the whales and then then you can look at the like sort of the natural turbulence of the ebb and flow and just be like oh yeah that's the water just talking with the moon mm -hmm. you know like it's a very different way of relating and sort of like realizing where our choice is relative to those things um that's really beautiful i, I love that yeah. just the water talking to the moon <laughs> yeah. In the neuroaffective relational model, they talk about like growing your capacity for discomfort, that that's a big part of healing of like, you know, if you feel discomfort, do you like jet out of there or can you sort of stay and explore and be like, oh, okay, what's this trying to give me? What's this trying to tell me? And like, that is very liberatory to be able to be in touch with that without sort of like, most often the question is, what am I doing wrong? How am I in danger? You know, instead of like being able to discern like, okay, this is actually dangerous and I need more help with that. And like, this is something that's okay to be with. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. So Maria, how do people find you? Uh, let's see, my website is mariahjwilliams.com, M-O-R-I-A-H, jwilliams.com. I'm on social media at MJW Intuitive. Well, thank you for this amazing conversation today. I always loved talking with you. We sort of start to go in tangents. I was very mindful of keeping us off our tangents today, and I'm really appreciative that you're like, we are going on a tangent here. <laughs> There's so much that like tangents are like so much of the delightful. Well, because I think I think you and I like to I think you and I like to discuss greater meanings of things and we bring our experiences to that. And so that's why we start going down these roads. <laughs> you gave a lot of great advice today and mm -hmm. I really, really appreciate you coming on for the second time because the first time got lost. I'm, I got oh, really nervous. Fun, yeah. We had a little glitch here and so I got a little nervous that well, I hope it comes back. So I hope that your second one comes back. So uh, it was wonderful to have you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Great talking with you always. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Queer Business Success, the podcast that highlights LGBTQIA plus businesses. New episodes are published regularly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other listening platforms. Wherever you're listening, take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business. <laughs>